So welcome to the Love Fly podcast. My name is Paul Tizard, fear of flying coach for 25 years. And today's guest is Captain Chris Hall. Uh, and today I'm not talking to him about his captain type stuff, although that may well come up. I know for nervous flyers, you always want to hear what a pilot's got to say about stuff. But the reason I asked Chris to come on is because this guy is like a proper adventurer, very modest about it. So I don't know if he'll tell us some stories, but and so I hope you really enjoy this. So welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So I've seen with some envy some of your posts over the years. I know quite a few people have been on your adventures. And so I, what my understanding of what you do is that you raise money, but have fun whilst doing it. Is that about right? That's, that's pretty much spot on. I mean, it lives under the motto or the phrase rather, have fun, do good. Yeah. And uh, it's evolved over time to be... What it was always originally meant to be, really, to drag people outside the what they normally do, to tempt them into something they might not otherwise do or have the confidence to do or be knowledgeable enough to do. And so it's a rich layer cake of experiences in a single adventure. And um, one of those layers is normally the hook that drags people in. For example... One of the things I do is a climb in Morocco and that's exotic and cultural because we gather in Marrakesh and there are opportunities to explore it. But in amongst what you might call as a sort of curious bit of tourism is this challenge to climb the highest mountain in the Atlas, therefore the highest mountain in North Africa. And each challenge has a different strength to it. So Nothing is extreme. Nothing that I do is extreme. But there are a couple of days, maybe even more sometimes, where you're stretched, stretched beyond where you normally go. And then after that, it's off to celebrate at Richard Branson's most lovely boutique hotel under the Atlas Mountains called the Caspar Tamadot. And within that, two days of deserved, well-earned loveliness and spoiling yourself. But then off you go into the community, and that's a wonderful Berber community in Morocco. The population is made up of Berbers, amongst others. And so, you know, any one of those things can really hook you in. And yeah, so many questions. Have fun, have fun, (laughs) test yourself, be a bit scared, come back, get pissed with your mates, have a great time, make new friends. And, you know, so, but in the end, have fun, do good, felt felt like the right way to um, to play with an idea, yeah. So let, let me get to think then, what's the best question? The reason I thought it'd be really interesting is because exactly that, that you help people to stretch themselves. And some of the things you've organised over the years would challenge anybody with their own fears. And so, you, you know, you must be pretty fearless yourself, I'm guessing, but, you know, if such a thing exists. Yeah. But how did it all start? Yeah, well, like anything else, well... Maybe, maybe not everything else, but for me, it started with a very modest first step. And one couldn't have imagined where I am now, which is 70 adventures later, you know, and um, many different uh, adventures uh, in different countries. 
3,000 people have done them. And, you know, that's where I am now 12 years later, actually 14 years later, but I can't really count the last two years as very productive. So the first, the first adventure was, might, you might have done it, Paul. Did you ever climb Mount Fuji? No. Right. So, you know, you could do things on trips, and we often did. Yeah. And it was, it was a pretty tough gig, but you could, on a normal Tokyo trip, fly the aeroplane as a cabin crew or pilot and have two days and two nights and climb Mount Fuji. And some, some of us did that. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would talk enthusiastically about that. And people say, oh, I wish I could do that. And I would say, yes, it's easy. Just ask to go to Tokyo and do that. And, and I could see that people would, in that moment, class it as too difficult. So I thought, well, bloody hell, it's so much fun. I think I can, I think I can set something up for those that need a little help. And so I set about as a pilot manager, I was in the office and you talk about fear. I had no real fear of confronting anybody that could say that it was a bad thing or anybody that could say that it was negative. And furthermore, I I planned it as a crew climb. So imagine you know a pilot or a cabin crew member twists their ankle and they're not able to operate the airplane home there's a little bit of risk in there but i reassured myself that that could happen walking anywhere and furthermore that they weren't banned from climbing fuji in their own time so that my job was really to provide the structure that would make it work in other words guides and you know and make sure they had enough sleep before they flew the airplane home anyway i proceeded to do that advertised it crew bid for it so there's a wonderful energy about the trip 50 people applied to do it in a matter of days i made sure that everything was in place for it and it was a wonderful thing and i pretty much got it right on the on the do good model so do good as a model is so interesting isn't it there's so much instinct to raise money and i I landed very quickly on the idea that the most important ingredient of have fun and do good was, first of all, to get people involved. And that if you set the bar too high on charity, you might not get some people who, who wanted to be involved. So I, I said to everyone, please open a fundraising page and you can raise one pound. I don't mind. You can define the, your legacy for yourself. And by adopting that model, it's been interesting because here we are, a million pounds, oh, you know, in 70. No way. Yes, a million pounds and 70 adventures later. It turns out that most English people have an instinct on their own to do it. And after three or four adventures, and I have many, many people who repeat adventures, who are repeat adventurers, they can't expect to maintain a too high a level of, of fundraising. So the trick really is to have a lovely combination of new people. So that's new fund, new fundraising energy uh, mixed with more experienced adventures. Anyway, on that climb, I think we raised £10,000. And next, when we got back, it was, it was great. And I was lucky, you might say, that nobody got hurt. But I've done 10 Mount Fuji adventures since then. And not a single person has been hurt. Yeah. So you can see that it was all along. Who's your favourite charities? Or is it anybody? Yeah, it's evolved over time, you know, for sure. In the first go... I, I don't know if you remember, Paul, maybe it was the same in your time, but Virgin Atlantic had a, a different charity every month. That's right. So all the fundraising was about 
passengers giving loose change on board. And the defined uh, recipient of that charity might be an earthquake appeal for something that had happened a few months ago in Haiti, for example, or more modestly and locally to somewhere within the UK. But in 2010, Virgin switched to a sort of more holistic, long-term approach on its giving, and it got engaged with an organisation called Free the Children. And, and that was a partnership that lasted until just before COVID. So a lot of fundraising before 2010 was somewhere else, but post-2010, it was a variety of places, including the Ebrans Foundation, Free the Children, and others besides. We've done 70 adventures. Give us a flavour of some of the things you've done. So you can be a walker, a trekker, Mm -hmm. a cyclist, a tuk-tuk driver, a mountain climber, um, a motorbike rider, a sailor. And in and so those are the those are the things that you could have done on a virgin adventure. So sailing, yes. Well, imagine this as an adventure. So sometimes we lean more on the adventure side than the challenge side. So for example, the Virgin Atlantic Adventure, the Caribbean Sail is a very charismatic sailing adventure around the British Virgin Islands. Obviously, the ring to that is interesting, isn't it? It's more adventurous, but it's more it's interesting to be on a boat with a crew. It's a sailing boat, and you have to learn to be with a crew and you and you sail. And within that, there are challenges, but it's not overhyped as a challenge, but it's a gloriously healthy thing to do. And of course, it finishes so charismatically with Richard hosting a party on his island that it's irresistible. And and some of what I'm doing is deliberately offering the magic that lies within the organization that is Virgin. I'm very proud of the fact that I'm able to offer people a chance to go and see and meet Richard where he is. I think he's a wonderfully interesting person. And a lot of the stuff I do for example, a, a lovely cycle ride from Los Angeles, sorry, from San Francisco to Los Angeles on the scenic highway, 500 mile cycle ride that I've done two years in a row through the mountains, not along the coast, but finishes in Mojave, hosted by Virgin Galactic. And everyone gets to see Virgin Galactic and the spaceship and talk to the chief pilot. And that's a ride I'm very proud of because it's taking Virgin people into the heart of what is the most interesting, arguably part of virgin the empire you know yes yeah, so you, you have I, time to organize all this stuff it's just... i don't even know how much how how i have the time i'm a full-time <laughs> training captain yeah. and actually i think you can always do more than you think you can do yeah but of course i have a little bit of insecurity sometimes about not doing well enough in some areas because of shortage of time yeah well that's remarkable so here's a question then so why do you do it Oh, God, I think I need a therapist for that one. Well, yeah, here, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> right. I, I think I do it because I get great pleasure from it, mm. from seeing people enjoy themselves, come, come out of their skin a bit. I lived in Africa and India growing up, and I really love those continents. I really love those cultures. And... I felt like I could do it without any real hard work 
you know, we climbed Mount Kenya, you know, it was, a, it was about the third or fourth adventure I did. And I lived in Kenya for many years and I couldn't wait to take people to see Kenya, to go to Nairobi, to go to the Rift Valley. And of course I hadn't climbed Mount Kenya before. So for that, for that part, I was curious about my own experience and looking forward to something I hadn't done. So often I'm doing things that I think are interesting, that I think people will love. And I must say the core skill for me is under describing the amount of work involved. Because if I thought about the work involved beforehand, honestly, I don't know that I'd do it. But um, I think I, I'm the optimist. I see, I see yeah. the pleasure, pleasure of it. And I don't dwell on the hard work of it. But mm. uh, it has to be structurally strong, you can imagine, for it to work. So um, I'm, proud of, I'm proud of the hard work. And I, I must say, I do give myself a five-minute pat on, on the back before I, keep, you know, before I go yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I know some people that have been on your adventures and, um, and they've loved it. And in terms of all the things you say about raising money, but uh, doing some fun stuff, also stretching them, testing their, testing their own boundaries, putting them outside their comfort zone, all of this stuff, which you're kind of known for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I have a, a, a terrific following. And I think you've always got to be careful that you are managing and delivering on each one. You know, and I do work incredibly hard to do that. I think, I think the model that I've got, so it has to work at many levels. It has to be affordable. I'm not interested in charging people three or four thousand pounds and giving it to the providers. You know, at that level, very not many people could do it. I'm interested in inclusivity. Mm. So people have to reflect back on the the um, value for money side of it enormously. I. I like the party vibe, you know, I like the, the, the have fun, have fun vibe is really, really great. So evenings are, are wild and, and interesting if people have enough energy. And anyway, there's tons to say. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to you and see what, what more you want to hear about. With the podcast, we get a lot of people that listen in. And one of the things I wanted to do with Love Fly was not just to deal with fear of flying, was to open the idea of, that's why it's called Love Fly. You know, like yeah. it's about, we're in this fantastic age where we've got opportunity open to us and you can jump on flights you know, very easily and there's all this stuff available to us, all these adventures and, yeah. and people have been thwarted because of these fears. And so I wanted to show a bit of a balance and that's why I've yeah. loved, I was yeah. desperate. I've been trying to, I was sitting thinking, who can I ask that would just bring some adventure and- uh, Yeah, right, right. Think of the plane as a vehicle to get you there and don't mm. overanalyze over the, yeah, uh, yeah, how you get there. Well, I think you'll, Paul, that's wonderful because, you know, the world is a remarkably interesting place and there are many, many cliches that you can throw throw in there but they include the idea of making making life interesting for yourself and so the key skill is when you see the interesting thing in the corner of your eye that you've got to stop and look and and grab it i can't tell you how many people say chris i've always wanted to do one of your adventures it was you know one day, 
And I think to myself, or I actually say to the person, look, grab a glass of wine or disrupt yourself enough to go for it. And the first key skill is actually to not overanalyze the journey beyond it, but to take the first step. Mm -hmm. So the first step is quite clearly to say, I want to do it. I'm going to register. And then after that, some complexity arrives, you know, okay, can we have your deposit? And there's a moment where you have to analyze again. But if you put off the decision-making on registering, being interested, actually going into, into the practicalities of getting yourself onto that adventure, if you put off, put off doing that, you probably won't get to the point where you do do it. So there are some simple first steps yeah. to, to, to be hooked into, into that. And um, they don't always mean that you can't find obstacles later on that stop you going, but it's that first step that's so key mm. where you might, in your world, you might say you throw a risk aside and, and, yeah. and think of the, the loveliness and optimism yeah. of, of yeah, that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's focusing on the... You know, so for some for nervous flyers, they say think about the destination, you know, think yes. about what yes. you know, where you're going. The the aircraft is just a journey. Mm. But having something magnificent to go towards, like the stuff that you do, yeah, makes yeah. it even more, more appealing. But just normal things that I think it's really important to focus on what will I miss if I don't do this thing? Yeah, yeah. You know, not yeah. letting the fear rule your life. Yeah, I mean they're the the elements that are challenging within the adventures I do are often the things that most interest the people that I tempt into a challenge. Can mm. I cope with a, a seven day day on day bike ride? And you know, how how competitive is it? How difficult, you know, those things. So most of most of my group are usually focusing on affordability and whether they can do the challenge mm. so so doing a mountain climb so you have to break it down and i'm i'm able to persuade people who are confident cyclists to do a three-day bike ride to paris or a four-day bike ride to amsterdam or a cycle ride in india First of all, by saying that it's an all-comers ride. And as long as they're prepared to sit in the saddle all day, I'm sure they can do it. And so when I do test runs, I'm forever thinking of, shall we say, the intermediate cyclist, or even, even the early, you know, someone who's just below intermediate on the bike Paris run, big support teams and jolly stops every hour are a real recipe for success so yeah for I, just, I just find you i find you so inspired i'm just so pleased i think the last time i spoke mm. to you was years ago and i know you're friends with steve ball so yeah yeah uh, steve and i worked together yeah. on the love fly so yeah he he's a he's a big fan of what you do and, yeah. and i'm just i'm just so honored to get a chance to talk to you and to share some of your enthusiasm yeah. that you've well, got i think for you life. have to come and come and do an adventure and then you can and then you can review whether you're a big fan of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see if spending three days with you is like, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe it's not so great. <laughs> Actually, on, a, on, on, on that note, the most fascinating thing is that you can, you can really think of 
when you do an adventure, it's when you do it for about seven to 14 days mm. as a maximum, you really don't have to overanalyze who you're going to be with. That you can, you can really think of being thrown together with like-minded people who are up to complete the challenge. It's only when you go beyond that. So believe it or not, I did one adventure called Bike Africa, which was Nairobi to Cape Town. So that was a setup as you could do six segments. You could ride from Nairobi into Kilimanjaro into Tanzania. Then you could do the, the segment from Tanzania to Malawi and, and off it went through Zambia and Botswana and Namibia. And anyway, I had eight people who did the entire three months. And that's when, that's when adventures become very, very challenging when you are in a community for that long, then, then it's psychologically interesting, the character of each individual. But my adventures, so I learned a lot from that. My adventures are a, a short because of affordability. That's to say the longest adventure I do is 10 days. And the typical one is six or seven. And the shortest is about four days. And that deals nicely with affordability, but it also means that everybody loves everyone at the end. <laughs> a sweet spot, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to kill each other yet. <laughs> no, no, they don't. So, um, so, yeah, many of the adventures have become lifelong friends, you know. Yeah, I've and, heard that. Uh, I think you, I've even heard some relationships have been born out of it as well. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Go into dodgy that. ones as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. I want to just say, if you had to consolidate, you can put your captain head on, your training captain head or your adventurer head, whatever you want. But the people that listen to this are nervous flyers at different stages yeah. of beating it. Yeah. What, what advice would you give them around that wisdom? Anything you want to say, really? Well, I think when you reflect back you on your life, on, your, on the opportunities you've been presented it's a wonderful thing to operate in a, in a place where there is a modest, acceptable amount of risk mm. to grab all the lovely stuff that may come with that. So the risk of, of failure in the challenge itself, for your, some of your love of flying guys, the, the risk of being nervous, or being overwhelmed by the flight itself should be considered against the achievements of doing it. So I can remember one quick anecdote. I can remember four girls crying on Old Delhi Railway Station, overwhelmed culturally by the noise and the smells of Old Delhi Railway Station. They'd never, they'd never been knee deep in, in, in India in that way and I went to them I said you're going to be fine you're going to be fine we were just about to board a train to cycle in in rural Rajasthan and um, at that point they were feeling overwhelmed and and crying and um, I gave them a hug and I said you'll be all right you'll be all right anyway at the end of what was I think five days later or six days later they were had the biggest smiles they came and give me hugs and said chris is the best thing we've ever done in our lives 
I can't tell you how much we've enjoyed cycling, how great the people of India are. So as you, as you move through your adventure, you can learn, you can learn and open your eyes and, and some, sometimes it's just overwhelmingly brilliant as it comes towards you and other times it's a slow revelation. But I think on the whole, I'm, you know, no, no one, I mean, you want to do things because they're great. And so in the beginning, you know, I always knew they were going to love it. I always knew they were going to love it. And, and lo and behold, they did. So there you go. There's a, a story to embolden you. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy always, but I promise you in the end, it's super rich. That's like the sweet spot to finish, isn't it? Eh? <laughs> on, on a podcast, what a great way to finish. Uh, yeah, for sure. Captain Chris, awesome. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I'm so grateful. And it's really nice to actually talk to you after okay, uh, cool. all this time. And I, I'm so grateful. Keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Very inspiring. I look forward to seeing you on an adventure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Find me something that I could do. Or perhaps <laughs> something I can't do. Ah, that's, I can't do. that's more interesting. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, you've got me. I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. Okay. Lovely stuff. Awesome.